Comic-Con brought us so many delights. From so many different fandoms. We're breaking down all the incredible news and sneak peeks on this week's episode of This Week in Time Travel. So, was this one a teaser or a trailer or a teaser trailer? We are not having this argument again. It is a trailer, but it's a real proper trailer. Cue the screams of delight and joy. So, yeah, uh, everybody in the world is talking about what happened at San Diego Comic-Con over the weekend, and we are no different, of course. But how are we going to differentiate ourselves from the hordes of podcasters and bloggers who have already weighed in? I think we're just going to talk about feels, right? Mostly feels. But it's been a great, 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 great weekend for Doctor Who fans and so much for folks to chew over. And we're going to go over the highlights and talk about sort of what we learned from San Diego Comic-Con about the state of Doctor Who come this October. And let's go back to that trailer. I mean... It was everything that I wanted. We actually finally got a look into what this season is going to be like. We actually had proper dialogue. We had scenes from upcoming stories. We had costume changes. We finally saw who this doctor is, what she will be like, and we got to properly meet her friends this time around. It was everything that I wanted and more. And yes, doctor, I will be your new best friend. <laughs> I didn't get as much from the trailer in terms of information. I got I I feel like I got gleanings of uh some personalities and things like that, but I still am impressed as heck with uh Chibnall and Stevens and the Cardiff Brain Trust for we're still going to be surprised by lots and lots of stuff uh when the show comes back, but I think we have got the clearest possible impression of the doctor's personality now and i think it feels completely different can you imagine any of the previous doctors asking their companions to be their new best friends i can't I can a little bit. This sounds a little bit to me like the 10th Doctor. It sounds a little bit to me like the 11th Doctor. It sounds a little bit to me like the 4th Doctor bringing in Sarah Jane and introducing her as, this is my best friend, Sarah Jane. Like, that is not an aspect of the Doctor that we get to see a lot. It's really for the Doctors where their childish glee and wonder gets to come out, where they get to be a little bit more lighthearted. So this is like early fourth doctor. This is like the 10th doctor on a really good day. This is the 11th doctor right at the beginning with Amy and Rory. Um, and I think that that bodes well for the type of energy that we're going to be seeing moving forward. You know, I, I see where you're coming from, and I think I mostly agree. But there is one thing that I'm not seeing in the 13th Doctor yet, that I can't separate from the 10th or the 11th or, to a certain extent, the 4th. There was always a little bit of smugness, even in the 10th Doctor, almost especially in the 10th Doctor, some would say, come with me and be my friend, because really, aren't I cool? And I'm not seeing any of that from the trailer that we've gotten of uh, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. She strikes me as... 
more wide open than any of the previous doctors. Again, based on very, very limited information. But yes, I want to be your friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be really exciting to see how she builds these friendships with her new companions. Other bits, uh, I love the last shot of the trailer uh, about how fun this is going to be and before she uh, closes the curtain. There's that shot of her with welder's glasses looking completely badass, still wearing uh, Capaldi's old costume or a miniaturized version of it. I think the costume regenerated with her just to fit. I'm, I'm if she wore Capaldi's costume everywhere, all of it would be falling off. He is a bit taller than she is. Watson says that the clothes regenerated to fit her. I'm just saying. Look, if Matt Smith had actually regenerated into David Tennant's outfit, it wouldn't have been like so loose and baggy on him. Let's just be real here. I am trying to be just 100% wholly in continuity and canon here. Um, I, I love this trailer. I love it to bits. And the excitement from this trailer just sort of seemed to permeate the entire Comic-Con experience. Uh, this was This was more than a coming out party. I think, for the new crew. I cannot remember a previous Comic-Con experience that just was just so soaked in goodwill. I think people have been anticipating this for a very long time. And I think that, you know, there are always going to be small corners of the internet that are full of terrible things that must be fought. But by and large, I think the community is ready and excited and just so happy to see her. And it helps that, you know, it's easy to root for all of them. How can you look at Jodie Whittaker's beautiful, gorgeous, smiling face and wish her anything other than all the happiness and joy in the world? So the panel opened with a really great video that was shot uh, very much at the last minute, clearly, in San Diego of uh, Jody making it to Comic-Con, wearing the same clothes that she wore during the panel. And then the BBC America fan reaction video, which I think you were considering contributing to at one point. The final result, oh my God, all the feels. I didn't end up contributing to it because I got insanely busy with another project, but it was so beautiful and delightful to see everyone being so excited and happy to welcome Jodie Whittaker, to see all of the art, to see all of the fan reactions, to see all the little girls so excited that Jodie was going to be the new doctor. I mean, I was tearing up. Yeah. She goes on stage uh, along with her castmates and the executive producers and the crowd goes wild and she's introduced and the panel is hosted by Terry Schwartz, editorial manager of IGN's entertainment team. And she did a great job. Thank you, BBC America, for replacing the previous panelist with an awesome badass woman. And we got all kinds of news and great moments uh, from the panel, including the official debut of the new Sonic Screwdriver. I'm very excited. I mean, that image of Jodie Whittaker sitting at the panel and just 
thrusting it up into the air, just holding it up victorious and going, this she is my son's brandishing screwdriver. It. Yes, it was great. It was amazing. Uh, Chibnall said that she comes by it in a very specific way, whatever the heck that means. Uh, but it sounds like maybe there's going to be something a little bit more than just, you know, the TARDIS spitting out a new sonic screwdriver for her or just one magically appearing. Um, I have a bit of a suspicion that those scenes of her with the welding glasses are her making her new sonic screwdriver, but that's just my own little, my own little thing in the box over here. And I'll just tuck that away and wait to be proven wrong on that. But we got some glimpses, up close glimpses of it because BBC America had toy sonic screwdrivers ready and available to sell at Comic-Con. So like, well done on the advanced planning there, folks. But uh, it's not even we're 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 not even three, four months away from the show. And I've got I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts. They're great thoughts. But go ahead. I'm sorry. It looks very interesting. Um, It's not entirely clear whether it's going to be like a wood material or a metal material. It's a silver color, but it has like this wood grain texture in it that's very interesting. And the core of the sonic screwdriver looks like a, a yellow or orange-ish crystal, which that's what lights up and makes the noise and everything like that. So some uh, fan videos were posted showing how it works. There's a couple of different settings to get some different lights and noise reactions, including a setting in which the crystal at the top twirls so that's cool so what i wanted to say about the debut of the sonic screwdriver and the her universe costuming stuff and uh i was also catching up on my comics and i read the road to the 13th doctor comic the 10th doctor version that uh, just came out and i am just also kind of astonished at all of the prep work that's going into the merchandising in advance of the show debuting in October. And I count the tie-in comics and such as merchandising as well. They are really working hard to prime the pump. It's like back in the 70s, Marvel Comics released the first couple of issues of the Star Wars movie adaptation comic before the movie ever came out. And they were working on toys and action figures and things like that well before the movie came out. You know, the BBC's actually feels like they are taking a page from old 1970s Star Wars marketing to get people really excited. And I feel like they've brought creators like uh, Jody Hauser and Rachel Stott in early to begin telling stories about the 13th Doctor so that they'll be ready when the BBC is ready to go, the toys coming out already. I feel really excited about the commitment that the BBC is showing to this series of Doctor Who. It's very encouraging. It seems like everyone's really got everything in order, got everything in line, and they are committed to really giving this the best possible introduction that they possibly can. So we also had some other fantastic moments from the panel that we wanted to make sure that we highlighted here. There were some really sweet moments and some interesting insights into the actors and the characters that they'll be playing. One that I particularly loved is that Jodie Whittaker auditioned for the role remotely. She was sent some dialogue and she had to record a video of her saying that and send it back to the team. 
And she wanted this job so badly that she made her own props for the scene that she was given. So that way she'd have something to be working with during that scene, which is just adorable. Also, Tosin Cole, who was not supposed to tell anybody that he'd been cast in Doctor Who, just, you know, ran out and told everyone right away that he'd been cast, which reminds me so much of John Boyega being like, you know, cast in Star Wars. And then he immediately goes out and he told the taxi driver as he's getting driven away of, I just got cast in Star Wars. Just like that level of enthusiasm for joining this, you know, incredible franchise and just all secrecy, all need to keep things private goes out the windows. Just like, no, I must tell everyone right now. There was also a lot said about inclusion during the panel and during the interviews uh, at the press conference before that. Jodie Whittaker talking about her costume and how you don't need to be a certain shape or age to wear it. And there were a lot of people of multiple genders wearing that costume all over the place at Comic-Con this weekend. She also said on being the first woman doctor, quote, It'll really be great when women aren't treated as a genre, just a cast member. Let's not have this conversation in 2020, hopefully. Which, God, that's such an incredible thing to say. Like, that's exactly what I want to hear. As much as I'm enthused about her being the first woman doctor, and I think it's appropriate to talk about the historic nature of that casting, you know, at a certain point, you just need to treat her like the doctor, just the doctor, because that's who she is. And we need to stop pretending as if this is some horrible, vast divergence from something that's come previously. It's going to be a continuation of the same show. It's going to be the same character. And I want to uplift how important this moment is without tokenizing it. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of inclusion, behind the scenes, we got some good news as well. Yes. So Chris Chibnall and Matt Stevens revealed that there will be five guest writer slots for the upcoming season of Doctor Who. Two of those guest writers will be women. And one of those women is a woman of color. She will be the first person of color of any gender to ever write for the TV show. There are also going to be four directors Two of them will be men and two of them will be women. We don't know their exact episode breakdown right now, though there are some rumors that the men will be directing more episodes than the women. Still, that is pretty dang close to parody right there. And all but one of the editors are women. I can't get over this. This is great news. More voices, more inclusive voices means better scripts, honestly, and a better reflection of the world that uh, we're looking at. A couple of important quotes uh, that also speak to the character of the Doctor. Jodie Whittaker, quote, The Doctor is a pillar of hope, striving for brightness and inclusion. Chris Chibnall similarly said, we need a pillar of hope in these times, and that pillar of hope is Jodie Whittaker, and then he corrects himself as, as the doctor, not her, the doctor. Again, we had moments where the doctor, especially I want to point to the 10th and 11th doctors, were sort of coded as awesome and impressive and defending, but I'm not sure that I would go so far as to put them in the inspiring category. There was always a little bit of oncoming storm kind of 
someone to be awed and also feared at the same time. We may see that in moments with the 13th Doctor, but I can't think of another Doctor that could fairly be characterized as a pillar of hope, can you? I mean, I can see moments of it in every one of the previous Doctors, but I think that speaks a lot to the moment that we are in right now. There's always a time and place for shows to be a little bit grim, for them to be a little bit darker, for them to be a little bit more introspective, and to really take a critical look at the heroes that they have built up. But we're in a moment right now that we need to have optimism, we need to have hope, and we need to have a character who can still be flawed, but who can stand up and be that symbol of hope that we need. And that was just everything that I needed to hear from the panel in that moment, because I am not in a grim, dark mood. You know, I have enough grimness and enough darkness in the world around me right now. I need someone to remind me to hope to remind me why I'm fighting, to give me some joy to remember this is what I'm going to be fighting for. And I'm really looking forward to having Jodie Whittaker be that person for me. I learned a couple of things from the coverage. First of all, that Jodie Whittaker and Doctor Who in general just belong everywhere. They owned Comic-Con. They fit in so perfectly. And I mean, Doctor Who is an established property, but again, completely new group of people for a show that hasn't aired yet. And there was Jodie Whittaker strutting on the catwalk at the Her Universe fashion show. Not everybody recognized who it was modeling the 13th Doctor coat until she threw her hood back and the audience just went crazy. And the other thing that I saw that I just adored was the group photo of the cast and crew of both Doctor Who and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, of all things, hanging out together. Ordinarily, disclosure here, ordinarily I think Andy Samberg has a very punchable face. But <laughs> there he was in the same picture with Jodie Whittaker, and I couldn't punch him. Not even if you offered me money. I wouldn't punch anyone in the Brooklyn Nine cast. They're all beautiful and delightful. And just the sheer joy in all of their faces in that photo was perfect. Also, side note on the fashion show, Jodie Whittaker could have walked the catwalk in that fashion show in any of the looks that she wore to Comic-Con this weekend. Because, oh my God, she was rocking Every single look. She's going to bring sheer capes back just by force of will, force <laughs> of just absolute stupendous style. That's all I wanted right there. San Diego was full of enthusiasm for Doctor Who and for this crowd. And Jodie Whittaker was full of enthusiasm herself. There was an adorable picture of her interacting with a child cosplayer, and the expression on her face is just priceless. I think she was as taken with the Comic-Con experience as Comic-Con was taken with her and with Doctor Who. And mind you, she hasn't done that much in genre. I mean, she did attack the block, but, you know, they didn't have broad church panels at San Diego Comic-Con. You know, this is a whole new world for her, and she leapt right in. And she seemed to just love every single moment of it. So thank you, Jody, for coming to Comic-Con. 
And here's to many more years and many more conventions where we get to see her being an utter delight. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, because Alyssa and I are vast and contain multitudes, uh, there was some other stuff at Comic-Con that we want to make a quick note of before we go. This week on The Incomparable Network. There's more from the Summer of Marvel. Captains America, the First Avenger, and the Winter Soldier are on The Incomparable. Jason and Dan review The Flowers of Vashnoi by Lois McMaster Bujold on Recently Read. And oh dear God, they're talking about James Joyce's Ulysses on Sophomore Lit. Run, for God's sake, run. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. Yeah, we're taking a quick sidestep away from the worlds of Doctor Who, although we will step back for a couple of bits of news here. But Alyssa and I are both fans of Star Wars The Clone Wars, and they had a panel celebrating the 10th anniversary of the show. And in the back of my head, I was wondering, why would you do this? Why would you do There's got to be something going on. I mean, yeah, they had there was an anniversary panel for Breaking Bad, and they weren't making any new Breaking Bad announcements there. But why? There's got to be something up about Clone Wars. And then at the very end of the panel, they run a trailer, and the middle of the trailer says, you know... The war was left unfinished until now. If you don't watch the Lucasfilm animated series Clone Wars and Rebels, we highly recommend them. It's an absolute treat, and they actually tell better stories than the Star Wars prequels, although that's not too hard. We recommend it. Snark alert. Clone Wars will be on the new Disney streaming uh, network, so you'll have to go there for your uh, Marvel fix and your Clone Wars fix as well. Ahsoka Tano is back! Let's dip back into Doctor Who adjacent stuff real quick. Lovely picture of Jodie Whittaker bumping into Alex Kingston, who is there to promote a discovery of witches. She is going to be playing a lesbian witch who is going to be the aunt of the protagonist. I'm very excited about A Discovery of Witches. I've read all three books in the series. There is a new book that is going to be coming out in the fall that's going to be sort of adjacent to that main series. And A Discovery of Witches is going to be broadcast in the United States on both Shudder and Sundance. So there is going to be an option for those Americans who desperately want to see it because it's it is unfortunately being produced made and distributed primarily in the United Kingdom but it's a looks like it's going to be a fantastic TV show and I'm very excited to see Alex Kingston play lesbian witch but I'm just also very happy that you know the doctor got to meet her wife again Another bit of Doctor Who adjacent news. I don't know that this was supposed to come out in the real world, but Neil Gaiman tweeted during the weekend that Rachel Talalay's got a new gig. Rachel Talalay being, of course, our favorite Doctor Who director. She is going to be directing an episode of American Gods. So Neil Gaiman plus Rachel Talalay plus American Gods basically equals everything that I want in a TV show. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And then another fandom that uh, Alyssa and I are uh, part of, oddly enough, because it's skewed at an age much younger than us, but they managed to have enough to keep the olds among us entertained, is Voltron Legendary Defender, which is on Netflix. If you're old enough to remember Voltron from back in the 80s, 
it is as good as you thought it was when you were a kid. <laughs> Don't go check out the old series. You, it doesn't hold up at all well. But the new series is really good, and it's made some impressive leaps in representation. One of the characters has a secret that we're not going to spoil if you've never seen it, but I think it's appropriate to talk about one of the lead characters, Shiro. Yes. So they screened an upcoming episode from the new season of Voltron, and the tweets were flying fast and furious when the news came out that what's going to be revealed in an upcoming episode is that one of the main protagonists, Shiro, had a boyfriend before he got pulled up into Voltron. So that was pretty incredible news to have that kind of visible representation on a children's TV show. One of the reasons that I kind of got pulled by Chip into Voltron is that some of the voice actors have previously done work on TV shows that I like, including Avatar The Last Airbender and uh, Legend of Korra. And one of the really difficult things about Legend of Korra is that it was supposed to end with the reveal that Korra was in a relationship with another woman, Asami. And They managed to get most of that reveal into the show. Unfortunately, the network did not want to go as far as the creators did. And so the creators made it very clear in other channels that they are definitely gay. And there have been comics that have gone beyond the TV show that have made their relationship very visible. So you could not miss it. But... It still is one of those things of they had to couch it. They had to hide it. And to have this type of representation on a kid's show is really groundbreaking. So well done, Voltron. And it's not my place to talk about it. So if you're willing, Alyssa, it's not just about political posturing or virtue signaling. It's really important for queer kids to see themselves, right? It is. You know, when I was young and beginning to recognize that I was not totally straight. It was really difficult for me to come to terms with it because most of the representation that I saw on television of queer people usually ended in death, disaster, destruction, something horrible happening to them, or they would just be treated terribly as something disgusting and perverted and wrong. And there was a lot of internalized shame and fear that I had to overcome to first accept the fact that yes, I was queer and that was fine, but also to be open and out about it, to have that courage to say, this is who I am. And it is one of those things that there's a lot of people who are going to say this is inappropriate for a children's TV show. And it really isn't. Voltron has been building up a heterosexual relationship between two of the paladins for a while. And That's something that's normal and expected on children's TV shows, to see boys and girls interested in each other and flirting. And it's not about sex. It's about showing those types of relationships, showing love and affection and fondness and just simple dating. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to see for queer couples as well. We need to see more of that type of representation. If your children's show is having boys and girls kiss each other and go on dates or just simply have crushes on each other, it also needs to be shown the same for queer characters, because there's a lot of kids out there in the position that I was in wondering if this is okay 
and we need to show them that, yes, it is. And here is an area where Doctor Who was ahead of the curve back in 2005 when Russell T. Davis took over. It really was. And it got a little bit of heat for that in the United States because the UK was still going further than the US was in a lot of their family oriented shows. And even then it took a while for Doctor Who to make it a little bit more normal because Captain Jack, you know, he's definitely not straight, but it was presented as something that was a natural but far off evolution of human attitudes. Not the fact that there would be people like Captain Jack now, present day, and even in the past. And it did get there eventually. You know, it is, it is working on it. It's had some problematic moments over the past couple of years, but it has generally been ahead of the curve. And it's exciting to see people's attitudes begin to evolve and shift and to see people become more accepting. It was a great weekend for pop culture, with the possible exception of that DC Titans trailer, maybe. Other than that, it was a great weekend for pop culture. Chip before the podcast. Let's not mention that, Chip, during the podcast. But actually, I have feelings about it. I just drove right past them. I just, you know, it's a quick drive by and uh, fired and released and moving on. Okay. So that brings us to a close for this week in time travel. I'm kind of getting spoiled. I expect more and better and more frequent updates from the BBC as we go on. I expect I expect another Comic-Con's worth of news this time next week. How about you, Alyssa? Oh, you sweet summer child. She went there again. You can find more of our episodes at thisweekintimetravel.com. We tweet at DR Who this week. I tweet at numeral two minute time lord. Alyssa tweets and uses Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. We have a Facebook presence. And what else do we need to tell them? Well, we do need to say thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and also to thank David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. We would also like to ask that you please review us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. And if you're feeling inclined, tell all your friends about us. The good stuff. Don't tell them the bad stuff, okay? We'll see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. Take care. <laughs>